Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, good morning, Portico. Come on, first service was louder. Good morning, Portico. (laughs) Okay, take it easy. Um, So glad you're with us in the room today. And for all of you who are joining online, thank you so much for being with us. You know, we're told that between two and 300 of you from all around the world are with us. Some of you are in the city, some of you are across the country, and some of you are around the world. Wherever you are, we hope that you'll find this place home and that you'll be blessed as you join us. And for you in the room today, we pray, our prayer is that God will just speak to you and empower you and give you what you need to live another week for him. Amen? Amen. Now, you guys have any plans for Canada Day next weekend? Yeah, you guys like playing hockey and drinking maple syrup and eating bacon. (laughs) Looking forward to celebrating 150 years. You know, I have traveled all around the world. I've been to a lot of great countries, and every time I get off the airplane back here at at YYZ at Toronto Airport, I kiss the ground. This is the greatest country in the world, honestly. It's even better than Portugal. Anyway, so... (laughs) Sneak in there. Okay. This morning, (laughs) we're going to continue in our series called Moses Unscripted. You know, for for weeks now, for a couple of months, we've been been looking at his life. And I was with some friends in ministry a while ago. And they said, how can you spend five or six months talking about Moses? I mean, you have the plagues. The Crossing of the Red Sea and the Ten Commandments. That's a three-week series. That's it. And the more we dive into the life of Moses, the the more we realize six months isn't enough even. Because we always look at the mountaintop experiences of his life. Yeah, we look at the plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea and the Ten Commandments, and we see those things. But as we've been learning, there's so much more to his life. And what I love, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again, I love that even though it happened so long ago to a culture so different from ours, and the time different from ours, we have principles that we can take and we can apply to our lives. And today, I think we're going to hit on something that's going to affect a lot of us, whether you're here in the room or you're online or wherever you are in the world. I think what we talk about this morning is really going to strike a nerve in a good way. It's something we all deal with, and what I want to do is I want to give you tools I want to give you methods on how to deal with these things as we look at the life of Moses and the behavior of the people. And so we're going to spend some time today in in the latter part of the book of Exodus in, in 32. But let me ask you a series of questions to kind of set up what I'm going to be talking about today. And I don't want you to raise your hands this time. Usually I ask for participation. I don't want you to raise your hands. And when I ask you a question, don't yell out an answer in the first part, okay? It's retrospective. It's just for you to kind of think about it in your mind, but don't respond. But listen to these questions and kind of just, yeah, listen. (laughs) Are there certain scenarios, scenarios or people in your life that raise your blood pressure? 
Hey, hands down. Don't look at your wives. Don't look at your husbands. Don't look at your kids. Right? Are there certain scenarios or people that raise your blood pressure or make your blood boil? You're thinking of them right now and your blood pressure just went up 30 points. And everybody has one of those people in their families. If you don't know who that person in your family is, it's probably you. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming out this morning. (laughs) It's a serious question. What drives up your stress levels? What gets your anxiety going? What is it that keeps you awake at night? What is it that makes it hard to sleep? What is it that makes it hard to focus? The truth is, no matter where we are, how rich we are, how poor we are, we're black, we're white, doesn't matter what we are, we all have things in our lives that keep us awake at night. And what I want to talk about today is how do we deal with those things? And as we look at the life of Moses and the decisions of the nation of Israel, we're going to look at things that are going to help us, I believe, and hope that will bring us to better choices. So, what drives up our stress? For some of us, it's bills. Wondering about job security. Some of you are, are, are anxious about having to go to work tomorrow. You've been enjoying the weekend. You haven't thought about work until I mentioned it. You're like, oh, right, there's that guy at work who I, I've been trying to get away from, and he's right next to me, and I've got to see him again tomorrow. Or maybe it's a boss who just treats you horribly and you don't like the way they talk to you or you feel they're treating you unfair and you're not looking forward to going to work tomorrow. By the way, we're not talking about anybody here at Portico. We're all very much looking forward to coming back on Tuesday because tomorrow's our day off. But we all have these, these, these things that, that trigger these anxiety and these issues in our lives. And maybe there's a family get-together coming up real soon over the summer. Maybe it's a Canada Day celebration. You're like, oh, no, they're coming. And just thinking about them makes you anxious because you know everybody's going to have to walk on eggshells and it's going to be a little tense. Is it just me? Okay, we all have things like that in our families. Or maybe it's a phone call. Maybe you're, you're waiting for a a call from the doctor this week because you went and did some blood work a couple of weeks ago because you were feeling a little off and you went in and you're waiting for the phone to ring and you're anxious about what the doctor's going to say. And isn't it amazing how our minds go to the worst case scenario? Right? We have a, a broken toenail and we start planning our funerals. Our minds have a tendency always to go to the worst-case scenario, and so we get our anxiety and our stress levels up. But this morning, it's not about what triggers our anxieties because we're all in the same boat. No matter what class we're in, no matter what ethnicity we are, no matter where we were raised, we all have these triggers. But here's the thing. How do we respond to those triggers? What do we do? What kind of behaviors do we take? What patterns do we fall into? What paths do we walk down? How do we respond to those things? That's what I want to talk about this morning. And we're going to look at the life of Moses again and the people of Israel. And we're going to look at decisions they made, both good and really, really bad decisions that were catastrophic in nature. Now, here's the warning I want to give you. There's something called reversion. The danger of reversion, when something happens to us, we don't even realize it, but we act in a certain way. 
we do things to help comfort ourselves or to take our minds off of what's going on. Those things are called coping mechanisms. And you do them and you don't even think about, you don't even think about it. That event, that situation, that person, that scenario is so overwhelming that we have to do something to dispel that nervous energy. And so we do these things to help us cope with what's going on in our lives. Now, for anybody who knows me, and I don't know why I'm talking about this in church, but for anybody who knows me, you know that I love Star Trek. Any Trekkies in the room this morning? Live long and prosper. Okay. And so... (laughs) Only Trekkies got that joke. Um, people who know me know that I, I really I enjoy Star Trek. I love sci-fi. That's kind of my thing. Well, almost 10 years ago now, uh, my father was diagnosed with, with a life-threatening brain tumor. And I remember when he was going through the process, it was very, very difficult for us and for our family. He'd had some headaches. His balance was off a little bit. And we thought it was an ear infection. The next thing we know, it's a stage four brain tumor, and they say there's, there's no cure for it but God. And so my dad is going through this dangerous, dangerous process, and without even realizing, you know what I did? I went to eBay, and I started ordering stuff, stuff I really didn't need, expensive, collectible, you know, toys and action figures and all these things, and for some reason, when they arrived in the mailbox, oh, I felt good. Because it made me forget about the hell that we were going through in our family. And within months after my dad passed away, I walked into this room that was filled with all these toys. And I said, meh, they don't do it for me anymore. It's like, I don't need them. At the time, I needed it because it was helping me to cope with what I was going through. And the truth is, we all cope with different things. And so why am I talking about this? Because Israel, the nation of Israel, had a coping mechanism. You probably weren't even aware of that. But Israel, when they went through difficult situations, they always acted the same way. They fell back into bad decisions. And so it's how we cope with difficult, with stressful, or unpleasant situations and memories. And you know what we do? We default to the easiest solution. We default to the thing that's probably the worst thing for us, but we do it because it's easy, because it's familiar. Even though that road might lead to something worse than what we're in, we do it anyways because in that moment, it pacifies the incredible pain that we're going through. And even though those pathways that we take, they can lead to addiction, to shame, or even disappointment, as we're doing them, we know, why am I doing this? You ever get stuck in that? Like, why am I doing this? I know where this leads. I know what's going to happen. I know what's on the other side of the tracks. But we do it anyways. And we say, Lord, what's wrong with me? Why do I react this way? Why do I do these things? Well, let me show you a picture that really helped me to understand why I make the decisions that I do. This is, that's a very scenic picture, isn't it? It's quite nice. There's nothing wrong with that picture. Look at that beautiful pathway kind of meandering through the meadows and the forest. It's all very nice. It's very lush. It's very green. Do you know why it's that way? Because hundreds and thousands and millions of people over time have all walked on that same pathway. And over time, it becomes a very firm path. It becomes a very wide path. And it becomes a very familiar path. 
And we feel safe because we don't even have to work at it. We look at it and we just start walking down that path. But here's the problem. We don't know where that path leads. We don't know what's on the other side. We default to it because it's there or because it's easy. But what we need to do is we need to stand back. And instead of defaulting to that behavior that takes us down that path, which we know will lead us potentially to destruction, we've got to stand back and say, you know what? I need to do something different today. I need to take a step to start creating a new pathway. And you know what? It's going to be hard. Because it's scary, because no one's done it before. I've never done it before. I don't know what's on the other side, but I'm going to start to default towards a new pathway and start dealing with things on a different level. Now, that's a lot of work. But it's healthy and it's safe. We need to start to train ourselves or retrain ourselves instead of defaulting to the simple. What do you default to? Where does your brain go? Where does your body go to when you go to a difficult, through a difficult thing? We're going to see what Israel did. You see, some people struggle with stress, and there's even what they call PTSD. You know this, right? Post-traumatic stress disorder. People go through scenarios, and it changes them. Some people have been through some horrific things. Maybe you're online watching, you've been through something horrific, and you just happened on this website today. And some of you in the room today, you've been through things in the past. You've been through verbal abuse, physical abuse, and some even sexual abuse. And on different levels, we go through things, and in order to protect ourselves, to guard ourselves, we act out in a behavior. And even though it's wrong, we do it anyways. As I was researching this PTSD and different stress management scenarios and and what it does to us, I came across something pretty interesting. Do you know that when you stress, that your brain changes? And the longer you stress, the more you stress, the more your brain changes. And if you stay in that stress long enough, it can uh, can change your, your brain chemistry for the rest of your life. And so I was looking at these photos online of what happens to the brain, and I was blown away. And I learned about this thing here. This is a part of the brain called a hippocampus. How many have heard of that before? Now, that's a gross-looking thing. It's the one on the left, by the way. (laughs) I'm not a doctor, but just so you know. (laughs) I said, why is it called the hippocampus? You ever wonder where we get the roots of words from? We just take it for granted. Well, hippos in Greek means horse. So you have these ancient hippodromes. They were the ancient racetracks. And so hippos is horse. And the second word is campus. And campus is an ancient Greek sea monster. And if you look at that, it looks like a seahorse. So hippocampus is how we came to, to this word. Now, why is it on the screen? When we go through stress, that part of the brain begins to shrink. And that part of the brain is what helps regulate time and memory. You see, until just a few weeks ago, I couldn't sleep on my own without sleeping pills. Because of all the travel that I did around the world and all the different time zones, I was in permanent jet lag. The hippocampus, the part of my brain that would say you're in Eastern Standard Time, couldn't regulate itself because of all the travels that I had been doing. And as that shrinks, it loses its ability to differentiate between something that's happening now and something that happened a long time ago. So often when you're going through stress, something that happens now can trigger something that happened 20 years ago. You ever had that? 
That's because stress is changing the chemistry of our brain. And so what we have to do is we've got to choose a very, very difficult task. We have to map out a new pathway. Now, I know that when I'm stressed, it's better for me to get on my bike and go for a ride. I know that it's better for me to put on my headphones and go for a nice long walk in my nice neighborhood. I know that. But you know what I do? I reach for the potato chips. (laughs) Don't laugh because you do it too. Darn those Doritos. (laughs) Right? We default to things that are familiar, that are comfortable, because they make us feel safe even though we know they're not solving anything. What I'm hoping to learn from our our, our message today is how to change those behaviors, how to make better choices so that we can walk forward in victory. You see, Israel, the nation, was suffering from PTSD, from post-traumatic stress disorder. They were a people who were enslaved and abused and mistreated for over 400 years, 430 in fact. They've forgotten what it was like to be normal. They were so caught up in a pattern of bad behavior and bad decisions, they forgot what it meant to be normal, and they did some pretty terrible things to themselves and to God, and the results were deadly, we're going to see this morning. In fact, they were catastrophic. It almost destroyed the nation. And the truth is that we make decisions that if we're not careful with, they're going to destroy us. They can destroy marriages, they can destroy families, they can destroy relationships with God. We need to learn how to make better decisions, amen? Well, what better place to turn to than the Bible for the answer? Let's start in Exodus chapter 32. And this is, this is the story of Moses, who had led the people out of Egypt and had brought these ten powerful plagues against the people, and God had Help them cross the Red Sea. And now they're at the mountain of the Lord and they're waiting for the Ten Commandments. And Moses goes up to the hill to meet with God face to face. And as he goes up, he says to his older brother Aaron, he says, Aaron, I'm going to go away for I don't know how long, but while I'm gone, take care of the people. That's the gist of the conversation. Just care for the people while I'm gone. Don't let them do anything too outrageous. And Aaron says, I got this. I'm your big bro. No problem. Well... We know what happens. We're going to see in a moment. In Exodus 32, 19, Moses is coming back from the mountain, and he approaches the camp, and he saw the calf and the dancing. And his anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. He's so upset. In fact, Moses, in this moment, becomes the greatest sinner in all the Bible. He broke all Ten Commandments at once. Okay, let's move on. Let's show him a picture on the app. It didn't work in the first service either. Okay. It probably won't work in the third, but it's in my notes. I'm going to do it. Okay. So just to kind of remind you where the people are, right? In kind of the northwest section of the map there, they're, they're in Sukkoth. They're in Egypt. God releases them. They make the long journey down through the desert. They cross through the treacherous mountains. They cross over to the other side. They meander and they wander and they waver for a bit. And eventually they end up here at the bottom of Mount Sinai. And they do something that they shouldn't have done. You see, the people should have known better than to worship a golden calf. They should have known better than to worship a false god or idol. 
Last week, we talked about how God spent verses and chapters, remember, on the tabernacle? God took the time and taught them how to worship and how to approach them. They shouldn't have defaulted to the wrong behavior, but yet they did. If you missed that message, hop online to our website and you can, you can watch it online. And here's another thing that's just absolutely staggering is that of all the metals they could have used to make a calf, they chose to use gold. You see, gold was commissioned by God. It was saved by God to build the Ark of the Covenant, to build the menorah, the altar, and the showbread. God said this metal is for holy purposes only, and out of all the metals, they chose to use gold to make a calf to worship. And so let me quickly take us through four things that I really pray are going to help us today to make better decisions as we move forward when we find ourselves in difficult situations. The first principle is so true. Impatience can lead to disobedience. God gives us something to do. He says to wait. What happens? We act on it, and then it doesn't work well, and we blame God Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, now listen very carefully because this is going to come back in just a few moments. And he said, come, make us gods who will go before us. And look at what they say here. And as for this fellow Moses, how rude. Oh, that's for this fellow Moses. This fellow, this is the guy who brought you out of Egypt. This is the guy who got you across the Red Sea and brought you to this point. Because he's gone a little bit longer than they like, they say, and as for this fellow Moses, we don't know what happened to him. We don't want to wait for him. We want to take matters into our own hands. You see, Moses was gone for a total of 40 days. That's all. And the nation of Israel had been freed from Egypt for not even 60 days. But yet they were so quick to revert back to their old ways. And often as we look at the life of of Israel and the Israelites back in, in the biblical times, we look at them and we say, how could they do such a thing? Oh, because we've never done it. We've never been impatient. We've never gotten ahead of God. We've never complained. We've never done something that God delivered us from already, really. Well, the Bible puts it very, um, well, let me read it for you. Proverbs 26, 11. I hope you haven't had breakfast yet. As a dog, isn't this so beautiful? As a dog returns to his vomit, so fools repeat their folly. How many times have we done this in our own lives? We say, God, if you help me with this, I promise I'll never do it again. And the moment deliverance comes, what do we do? We go right back to it. So impatience can lead to disobedience. If that's true, then the opposite is true. That patience can lead to obedience. Friends of mine live in in Jerusalem. And they're Canadians, but they've been pastoring there for over 30 years. In 2002, there was something called the Antifada, which was an uprising of violence and terrorism in Jerusalem. And there were anywhere between uh, three and five suicide bombers a week. 
Restaurants in Jerusalem were exploding. Buses were exploding. It was just, it was a horrific time to be in Israel. And yet, they were living there, and they had to go to work every day. So my friend's wife would take a certain bus to go to the office every single day. She had been doing it for 20 years. And as she was waiting by the bus stop, the Lord spoke to her and said, don't take the first bus. Take the second bus. And she said, Lord, I'm going to be late. This is Jerusalem. If I miss the first bus, it might be a half hour before the second bus. And I can't get to work late. Take the second bus. So she says, fine. How many times have we reluctantly listened to God? She said, fine, I won't get on the first bus. The first bus comes, he stops. She goes, no, no, it's okay. He moves on. She gets on the second bus. Five minutes later, the first bus exploded. A suicide bomber dressed as an Orthodox Jewish man had gotten on the bus, looked very incognito, detonated, and killed almost everybody on the bus. My friend heard about the explosion, called his wife, and to his surprise, she answered the phone. If impatience can bring disobedience, then patience can bring obedience. Listening to God, it just might save your life. Come on. The second thing that we see in this scenario of the golden calf is that arrogance can produce a totally and complete counterfeit experience. You see, they had the real. They had the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had the God of Israel on their side, but because they couldn't wait, they got arrogance, and that arrogance, in their arrogance, they themselves produced a counterfeit experience. Look at Exodus chapter 32, verse 4. Again, talking about Aaron, the one who said he had it under control, the one who said, don't worry, Moses, you big brothers here, you go up and meet with God. Everything is going to be okay. This Aaron took what they handed him and he made it into an idol and he cast it in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Does that sound accidental in any way, shape, or form? Or does that sound very purposed? Well, later on, just recall this. Let your hippocampus do some work. See how I weave that in? Okay, you're not impressed. Let's move on. So he makes this golden calf. He fashions it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods. This thing that I made five minutes ago, Israel, this is the God who brought you up out of Egypt. Can I just be blunt? How stupid. How foolish to say such a thing in light of what they had just been through. They had made this thing five minutes ago, and he said, this is the God, not the one back in Egypt, not the one who's meeting with Moses. This isn't the God who's done it. It's this thing that we have made. That's what sin does. Sin is so foolish, and it makes us do the dumbest things. I said it. Sin blinds us, it deceives us, it entangles us, because you know what? In the moment, it solves our problems. But then we stand back and we realize, oh my goodness, what is this thing that I have done? You see, Israel reverted to a behavior that they were comfortable with. Back in Egypt, they would have seen people worshiping cows. 
They would have seen them worshiping bulls or calves. I, I found this picture online that came from a tomb of a pharaoh. And here you see them worshiping and raising their hands and worshiping this, this bull. They would have seen this, and so they defaulted to their old ways. And as they're making the golden calf, and Moses is coming down the mountain, and on the very tablets he's holding, it says in Exodus 20, do not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth, or beneath or in the waters below. The people hadn't even yet got the instructions, and they were already breaking the commands. And let me show you something they did here. They defaulted to, to this familiar thing, to the easy path, and they made this. Let me show you an image of a golden calf. This was used in ancient countries all around the world in those times, and this is the ancient god called Baal. Have you heard of him in the Bible? Many times people worshiped Baal. Well, the Israelites did as well. And the second god here is called Apis. He's also made in the form of a bull. And combined, these two gods represented two things to the people, strength and fertility. And out of all the images they could have made, look at what they did. When they made this image, it was in direct opposition of what God said he, he would do. God said he would be their strength. In Exodus chapter 6, 1, he says, because of my mighty hand. He says it twice, because of my mighty hand. God says, I will be your strength. I'm going to be the one who does this. But instead, they built a calf to do it for them. And then later on in Genesis twenty-two seventeen, God said, I will be the one who will multiply you. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. And God said he would be the strength. He would be the one that multiplies them. But instead, they made this God who was going to be their strength and who was going to be their fertility. They defaulted to this. Here's the picture again of the path in the forest. They defaulted to this because it was easy. Instead of doing the work, instead of making that decision to stand back and carve out a new pathway, they fell back on what was comfortable. Let me show you one more point here. I'm going to try to get through this. You know, I have 20 minutes left of material and no Tuesday nights to teach this. So I'm going to try to sneak it into a few other sermons, okay? Point number three is very important. Confronting sin will result in two things, in either confession or cover-up. When we're confronted by sins, when we're caught in the act, we have two things that we can do. We can confess or we can cover. The classic example is of a little kid who has chocolate smeared all over his face. Billy, did you eat the cookie? Nope. How did that chocolate get on your face? I don't know. It's the same answer Aaron gave 4,000 years ago. <laughs> Exodus chapter 32, verse 24. This is the best excuse ever in the history of mankind. Like the best. And in the Hebrew language, it's even funnier. 
Moses, I don't know what happened. Because he comes down and he smashes the tablets and he confronts his big brother and he said, what have you done? Moses, I swear. I can't explain it. All I did was take their gold. It wasn't even my gold. All I did was take their gold and from a distance I threw it into the fire. And a miracle took place. I threw gold into the fire and out came a cow. It's the first holy cow ever in the history of mankind. (laughs) He got caught red-handed but still refused to admit what he had done. He was like that kid with chocolate on his face. So when we're confronted with sin, folks, we have a decision. We can either confess or we can cover it up. The Proverbs say it beautifully in chapter 28, verse 13. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them, that one finds mercy. One final thought before we we conclude this morning. So we had arrogance in the last point, and now we have humility. Humility can produce repentance, and restoration. Moses had every right to be mad at the people. After all, they said, as for this fellow Moses, Moses could have said, God, give it to him. They deserve it. They called me names. They didn't listen to me. And we're so quick when something bad happens to somebody or should happen, we say, yeah, God, give it to him. But yet we want grace for ourselves. And Moses stands up in chapter 32. Uh, Where is it here? And he says, Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. See, he didn't try to cover up the sin. Moses had a totally different approach than Aaron. He says, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now please, God, forgive their sin. But if not, if he won't forgive them, Look at the humility. He says, then blot me out. Blot me out of the book you have written. He was willing to take one for the team. So what's our response? What do we learn from this group of people called the Israelites? What do we do? What do we learn from them when we see this people who defaulted, who went to a behavior that they were familiar with? What happened? It was catastrophic. And the Bible says, in fact, because of their sin, God commanded that Moses have the Levites rise up their swords and 3,000 people, the Bible says, in Act, sorry, in, where is it? In Exodus chapter 32, verse 28, the Bible says that at the very first, this is called Pentecost in Hebrew, by the way, 50 days after they crossed the Red Sea, 50 meaning Penta, 50 days after the Red Sea, and here they are at the Mount of Sinai, and they disobey God, and at the very first Pentecost, the Bible says that about 3,000 people were put to death. And now I want to fast forward real quick to the book of Acts to the Feast of Pentecost that we read about for the first time in the New Testament. And something interesting happens there. You see, because at the first Pentecost, the first 50 days, 
The spirit of the law that was written on tablets of stone brought the people to a place of death, and in fact, 3,000 of them were killed. Does that number sound familiar to anybody? We move forward to the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 41, where God said, it's no longer about the law on tablets of stone, but now I want to put it in your hearts. And the Bible says that that Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. You see, the law on tablets of stone brought death, but the law from the Spirit of God that's written in our hearts, that brings life. In fact, God said, this is how you will know that I'm their God. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33, he says, I'm going to make a new covenant. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. God is calling us to change the way we think when we deal with stressful and anxious situations. In fact, the Bible says, be transformed what? By the renewing of your mind and don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the power of God. Amen? Can you guys stand together this morning? You know, this hope, <laughs> this hope for us who are, who are going through stressful and anxious situations, there, are hope, there is hope for those of us who are caught in these, these patterns of behavior that we can't seem to get out of. If we will follow these four things that we learn from the life of Moses and Israel, I promise you deliverance is waiting. God is waiting to set us free. Second Chronicles chapter 7, 14 says, If my people... Do you know that you're God's people? Hey, you online. You're, you're part of God's people. You know that? All of us here on this platform, we're part of God's people. And he says, if my people who have been called by name will what? Humble themselves and pray and seek my face, not the false gods, not the gods made by the hands of man, but if you will pray and seek my face and turn from those wicked ways, turn from those bad decisions, then God says, I will, I will, not I might. He says, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And with Canada Day coming, who wants to see Canada healed by the power of God? Amen? Amen. Let's worship.